And I do want you to pay attention, everybody, everyone in the room, what it is that Mary wants to be magnified. Uh, this is her famous song, her famous prayer called the Magnificat. And uh, this is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And this is God's word to you this morning. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. For he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty, and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And that her is referring to Elizabeth, her kinfolk. And so uh, our practice here is just to spend a few moments in silence. And in that, in that space today, we're just simply asking that, that God would magnify himself in the service as he already has, that he would continue in that good work. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, the way in which you reveal yourself each new day, um, whether it's through a sunrise or whether it's through um, breath or whether it's through your word. Lord, each thing is uh, full and so glory-filled if we have eyes to see it. And this is where Mary finds herself, um, the earthly mother, uh, of Jesus. Lord, she was in a low place. She was um, hurting. She was poor, and yet you came to her, and you chose her uh, to come into this world and to reveal yourself. And so, Lord, help us to see you fresh this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, previously in, in Luke, Luke tends to focus on women and the perspective of women, and there, that's no different when, with how he uh, talks about the story of Christmas or the incarnation. And so prior to our passage in verse 39, uh, Elizabeth, who is um, kindred to, to Mary, uh, hears a greeting. So Mary enters sort of her vicinity and hears a greeting of Mary and what happens is that Elizabeth, who is beyond the age of childbearing, is actually, um, she has a child named John, who's the cousin of Jesus. And when she hears uh, Mary's greeting, it says that John started leaping in her belly, um, started jumping up and down. And what, what's going on is that Luke is describing that the Holy Spirit, and this, heart is, this is hearkening back to Genesis, the Holy Spirit is being poured out onto John and then on to Elizabeth, and then on to Mary. And when that happens with Mary, Mary bursts out into song. And that's what we call uh, Mary's song, the, Mag the Magnificat. And in this, in this song, it's beautiful because it's basically a summary of what Christmas is about. 
And it's the pattern of Christianity. It's the pattern of all things connected to the God of the universe revealed in Jesus Christ, which is that God raises the low and he lowers the high so that we would direct our focus towards him. Okay? God raises the low and he lowers the high so that we would direct our focus towards him. Now, that's a pattern not only in the world with how God thinks about power, but also in your very own individual lives. Those things in your life that seem low, God raises them up. Those things that are, seems like you're doing well, God will oftentimes bring, bring those down, but for the purpose of directing our attention to him, okay? So Mary is what many scholars think is like a 14-year-old Jewish girl that doesn't have very many resources. She hears this from Elizabeth, and she bursts out into song in verse 46 and 47, and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now that's part of why the song is called the Magnificat, because Mary, what she's doing is that she's expressing when what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to see God enlarged. I want to see God big. I want, I want him to be magnified and to increase. Now, soul in the Bible, is, it's very important to, to think um, biblically about the concept of the soul. Um, that does not mean necessarily the non-physical you. And the closest word that we use in our language that can describe what, what she means by soul is probably how we, how we talk about the word identity, how we identify ourselves. And Mary says that the center of her identity, the center of who she is, and this is very important, this is what it means to be a human being, is a reflection of God, is a, is a mirror of who God is. And so what Mary's saying is, when you look at me, I want you to see God enlarged as if I were a magnifying glass to God. I want you to see God magnificent. Now that, that alone is counter to every culture of humankind, not the least of which ours in, in the modern world, that one's own identity is not necessarily to point to yourself. And we can sense this from very early on in life when someone notices us or they are kind to us. I remember when I was little and my brother would sometimes reluctantly let me hang out with him and his friends. And uh, as you know, when, you, when you're a little sibling, you kind of want to hang with your, your older siblings. And I remember uh, his, his buddies just being so kind to me. They would notice me. They would ask me questions. And that really did make an impression on me as, as a little brother. Um, and I think part of why that affected me so much is that here's these older people who, whom I think are cool, and yet they aren't doing something that's benefiting them when they're around me. What they're doing is that they're going out of their way and, and not being controlled by what they want, but they're, they're investing in me. They're investing in the relationship without getting anything in return. Now, when Mary says... This is, this is very, very profound. When Mary says, I'm rejoicing that God is my Lord, that, that God is, in some sense, controlling me, that that gives her delight, what she's saying is that I find happiness 
when I, when I don't belong to myself. The great thing about the Lord, Mary says, is not, is not that he's so very, very powerful, even though that's great, but he, he uses his power to serve. He's the type of Lord that when I'm in his presence, Mary says, like I, I actually find deep delight and deep satisfaction. And there's a sense into which Mary is, is saying, it's actually better that I belong to the Lord and not to myself. One great way that Christians have used to describe how human beings are to relate to God is that he is both Lord and Savior. He is both um, all-controlling but intimate, intimate enough so that you can know him personally. And that's what Mary is saying, he's, he's my Savior. So we get... Um, when, when we get out of sort of our, our own head and we get lost in, in another, which is what's happening with Mary, we get glimmers of this when we fall in love for the first time or we, we learn about a new hobby or we hear a song that hooks us and our attention in that moment is taken off of ourselves and we forget ourselves in the love of something outside of us. This is what's so beautiful about watching the, the, the children, you know. We're, we're sort of captivated in the way that they see the world. And part of what's happening with Mary is that there is a particular thing about God that has really grabbed her. And what it, what it says is that he, she's, she's singing and she says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And she's saying what God is about is that he's about raising the low. Now, what Mary would have been experiencing at this point in her life is that she would have been excluded by her deepest community. Matthew tells us that her um, to-be husband, Joseph, was going to divorce her, um, not to shame her, but quietly. And so I want you to put yourself in Mary's position and think like, okay, what must she have been thinking when this song sort of came to her? It would appear that she had been unfaithful. Um, That's what everyone on the outside thought about her, that she had been unfaithful because she was pregnant, not by Joseph. And she, in her mind, was, was going to have to find a different community. That was a part of the horizon of her future. She didn't know her future. And this can be a common experience in life that even when you're trying to do the right thing, even when you know you may, you, you may be innocent uh, beyond all comparison to what people are thinking about you, but there's no way to actually clear your name. There's no way for your entire community to like know the truth, the actual truth of what's happening. What Mary is saying is that God looks with care in my humble estate. That word humble estate means humiliation. That when you are experiencing humiliation, God sees that and he enters into that with you. And oftentimes when we're in tough situations, we just want out, but God wants us to to wait, which is what the Advent season is about, to, to wait and watch in that low place with God, because there you will have intimacy with him in new ways. That It's just impossible to have intimacy in that particular way when, when you're on the top. Jesus himself says, uh, blessed are those who mourn. 
He even says, and this is a tough one for us, blessed are the poor. Uh, I, don't, I don't wish to shame anyone in my family or anyone in any community I've ever been a part of, but the refrain that I have heard in the United States is that blessing, blessing is really tied to physical assets or money. Um, we say this a lot. When, when we are, are struck with good fortune financially, we say, well, God's really blessed me. That's not a biblical way to think. I mean, it literally says, blessed are, blessed are you when you don't have a lot. Blessed are you when you're empty. Blessed are you when you cry. And so Mary's blessedness, her fortune, lives beyond her own life to generations. And part of that is because she is Jesus's nurturer. She's Jesus's, or uh, yeah, she's Jesus's mother. And as Elizabeth says, She's blessed among women, and the moment we want to focus on Mary, what does Mary do in verse 49? Because during, during that, that time, she would have been very, very poor, and literally poor in spirit with her community and poor financially, and Elizabeth calls her blessed, and then what, what Mary says in 49, she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In 51, she says, with the strength of his arm, what does he do? He brings down the proud and he raises up the low. God's name is distinct, you guys, because he takes his strength and he tenderly cares for those who are forgotten, for those who are poor. Like in the ancient world, everyone wanted this title. Whether you're a Caesar or some other person in power, you wanted to be the autocrotter. And that name was inscripted on many, many statues in the ancient world. And that's the phrase that's used in this, in this song, verse 51. That's the illusion that God uses his sole authority, his sole power. And what he does is that he lifts up those who are on the bottom. And he uses his power to confuse the proud who wish to stamp their names on buildings and statues, and he gives his power away to the hurting and to those in need. That's why Mary is singing, because she's realizing how much God has done for her. And that's why his name is holy. It's different. It's where you find life. That's what his name means, Yahweh. And in verse 50, Mary sings, God's mercy is for those who fear him. And she says, this just isn't for me and my children, but it's for generations that I've never met. Zach Eswine, a pastor, said, uh, mercy is hospitality to one's weakness. Hospitality to one, one's weakness. It's a place to stand when you have lost your footing. Um, I don't know if it's like this here, but where I grew up, the, the, the sand or the sediment, the soil was kind of uh, clay-like. It was reddish, Georgia red clay. Um, and we were told growing up that if you saw a construction site with these big piles of dirt for, uh, don't, don't go play King of the Hill on those mounds of dirt. And the reason why is because those big, big piles can hollow out on the inside and you can fall through. And so it's very dangerous, um, and so we were always said, don't, you know, told, don't go play King of the Hill on those tall mounds of dirt. Um, so there's this famous story where these two brothers, uh, older brother and younger brother, were playing on a hill, and they, they ended up falling through, 
and after a while, you know, the adults come, um, and they find one of the little boys, and his, his head is, is just above the, the sand, the clay there, and they ask him, where's your brother? And he says, I'm standing on his shoulders. And the reason why I tell you that is because when, when theologians talk about Christ's incarnation, they, they say it's his humiliation, that it's his descent into our world heading towards the crucifixion. And part of, part of what Jesus is doing, coming through the lowest of the low through Mary, is that he was always heading towards a place where he's going to lift us up so that we may have life. So that he could be our true older brother, so that we could stand on his shoulders and, and live. And Mary is understanding that. Mary's understanding that because she doesn't have a leg to stand on. She had lost everything. And so when Elizabeth says, actually, in, through, your, through you, the Savior of the world is going to come into this world, and it's going to be amazing. Now, most, uh, like what, what Jesus does in the lives of people is that he makes us into those who lift others up. But, you know, most of the decisions that God is calling us towards aren't as dramatic as the story that I just told you. Most of what God is calling you towards are decisions that will be small and unnoticeable and non-dramatic throughout the course of your day, each day. Thousands of little tiny selfless decisions that are for the most part unimpressive is what God calls you to. So it's a slow descent into, into the sand. And the reason why is because God wants to make us people who don't want to impress others. In fact, like, that's the whole point of this song. When people come into contact with you, the true calling of a human being is that others would be impressed with God, literally. The impression that you leave on others is God, not you. And so that your name isn't front and center. It's hallowed be thy name. That's what Mary is saying, is that it's God's name that's holy, not mine, and strangely, this is the strange thing, and you can almost feel it when you, when you imagine this, when that becomes your identity, when the impression of God becomes your identity, when He is what your soul wants to magnify, you can almost feel it. There's a sense of like, that's right. That's what a human being is supposed to be. That's what is just. For my name to be lowered and for His name to be magnified, it's almost like eating when you're really, really hungry, says verse 53. But what we do in life when we know that we haven't magnified God and we start to feel shame is that we must go back to why Jesus came into the world to begin with. And so this is what I want to leave, what I want to leave you with is what, what do we do when we know that we have not lived our lives to magnify God's name? Um, the, great, the great thing about the movie Elf, you know, it's about this elf named Buddy played by Will Ferrell, who has an affinity for elf culture, he says. Uh, and everywhere he goes, he gets sent to New York. Everywhere he goes in New York, what he wants to do is he wants to spread that elf culture of joy and fun. But New York doesn't run on joy and fun. New York runs on production and money. And there's this clash 
when Buddy tries to bring the world that he knows into our world. And it comes to a head, and it comes to this breaking point with his dad, where Buddy is trying to express how much love he feels and how much joy he feels. And uh, he, ruins, he ruins this business deal that his dad's trying to make. And his dad turns to him and he says, Buddy, I, I don't care that you're an elf. I don't, I don't care that you're my son. I just want you out. Get out. And so Buddy goes home, and he writes a goodbye letter on an Etch-A-Sketch, right? You remember? And he, he says, I'm sorry I ruined your lives and crammed 11 cookies into the VCR. I don't belong here. I don't belong anywhere. Now look, guys, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus comes into this world... Um, we did not want him here, but that's not the worst part. When Jesus died on the cross, he turned to his dad, and what his dad said is, get out of my presence. And he did. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he came back. And he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. But that's what it means to endure the wrath of God on our behalf. That's what it means to stand underneath the dirt and let it suffocate you so that he can lift you up and and so that you can breathe and have life. So that you would know that it's about his name, not ours. God opposes the proud, and that is true in the whole world, but what it's also true of is in your own heart, there are, there are these mountains of pride that Jesus will knock down, and you don't want them there anyways, and that's the story of the incarnation, that's the story of Christmas, that he's going to lift up what's low in your heart and lower what is high so that we may embody him in this world, so that people will be impressed Not by us, but by his image, by him. The impression that you leave is the gospel. So that his name becomes big. So that when people see you, they actually see the goodness of God. That's God's intent. That's where you're headed. That when people get near you, it's like they are getting near to God. Not because of you, but because of his work in you. And oftentimes, he does that through our our sin through our brokenness. That's what Jesus shows us. He shows us what he has come to redeem, what he has come to renew, what he has come to resurrect, and that's why Mary's singing. This song is about God, not Mary. That's why it's magnificent. God raises the low, he lowers the high, so that his name might be praised. And when we praise his name, we have intimacy with him. I'm going to pray... I do want to reiterate, we do not have a Sunday morning service on Christmas Eve. We just have one at 5 p.m., and it's such a beautiful service. So we invite you back um, next Sunday at 5 p.m. I'm going to pray, and uh, Phil is going to help us with confession assurance. Father, we thank you for uh, Mary's song, her Magnificat, but most of all, Lord, we thank you for what her song points to, which is that you are our Savior. And Lord, um, you are also our Lord. And those two work together. 
And so we bow to you now, Father, because you just, you have been so kind to us in every way. Um, You have made this world and you have not let us ruin Christmas. You have not let human beings who um, have wanted you to get out of their lives or human beings who wanted to run away from you, um, you've not let that narrative run the show. And so, Lord, help us to, to sense your goodness, your care, your kindness as we confess our sins and as we come back to the table. In Christ's name, amen.